we were just in, we were just watching the draft tracker and it still wasn't updating. And then I ended up look, I was looking down on my phone and then it was like Atlanta United tagged you on Twitter. So I opened it up and then all the boys went crazy. Um, you know, I got ice water dumped on me. So it was, it was definitely a surreal feeling. Um, just seeing that obviously it wasn't like the normal way you find out, but um, <laughs> just seeing Atlanta United tag me on Twitter was just like, wow, it's crazy. Um, so I was really excited and I'm very blessed that Atlanta has um, put their trust in me and my abilities um, and given me this opportunity to, you know, perform for them. Live from my man cave in Chesapeake, Virginia, this is MLS Gone Wild. I'm your host, Blake, here to bring you the latest news, rumors, opinions, analytics, interviews, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going. Hello and welcome to MLS Gone Wild Season 4, Episode 2. This is your host, Blake. On this week's episode of MLS Gone Wild, I am joined by two-time first-team Western Athletic Conference selection. 2021 WAC Offensive Player of the Year, and Atlanta United's second-round pick in this year's MLS Super Draft by way of the Air Force Academy, Tristan Traeger. Tristan, congratulations and welcome to MLS Gone Wild. Thank you for having me on. Of course, brother. Before we get into who you are on the pitch, let's get to know Tristan Traeger off the field. Are you ready? Yes, sir. All right, so when you aren't on the pitch, how do you like to spend your free time? Um, I love playing video games. That's just, uh, you know, I love playing Fortnite, Warzone. Um, I'm from San Clemente, so that's a small beach town um, over in Southern California. So I grew up surfing, and I love surfing when I go home for breaks, uh, when I'm not at school. Uh, I go to school in Colorado, so I picked up snowboarding and love doing that as well. Um, and then I guess just working out in general. If I'm, like, in the off season, I love going to the gym. Um, and working out and staying fit. Yeah, that balance when you're on the ball, I think a lot of that magic might come from your snowboarding and your uh, and your surfing. Yeah, surfing, yeah. So you said Warzone. Me and my boys are big time Warzone players. I'm pretty bad. What do you think of the new map, Caldera? Caldera. Uh, I just started playing a few weeks ago, but um, I like it. It kind of reminds me of being in Hawaii. Um, so I used to vacation there a lot with my family and um compared to Verdansk it's like it kind of took a little while to get used to it but um I've liked it I've liked it honestly since it came out so love playing that with my buddies do you drop at one specific spot or just kind of wherever um we haven't really chosen a spot I know peak is pretty hot but um yeah we haven't picked like a specific spot back in Verdansk we used to just go to the bunker um so if you know, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. When we played for dance, we were the Lumber Boys. And now in Caldera, we are the Lagoon Boys. I'm bad, um, but still have fun doing it, you know. Yeah, for sure. All right. So do you have a nickname? <clears throat> um, I mean, my Instagram handle is T-Trigs. So back in high school, I guess on my club team, Strikers. Um, shout out to Morgan Hebbard. He's, he plays at West Point over at Army. Um, he's in the same grade as me. and he kind of was the first person that started calling me Tregs. So I guess in high school, that was, that was my nickname. Um, so that's kind of how I got my Instagram handle. And then when I came to Air Force, um, 
my best friend on the team, Mikey, next year. He started calling me like Tris freshman year. So I kind of caught on to the team and everyone's been calling me Tris, short for Tristan. So. All right, Atlanta fans, you have a couple options there. Tregs or Tris. I also saw somebody <laughs> in one of the comments after you got drafted, uh, you know, how they have CR7 for Cristiano Ronaldo. I saw TT10 and I kind of like that. Yeah, that's kind of a, I was number 13 freshman year and then I switched to 10 sophomore through senior year. And then TT10 kind of just like became a thing senior year. We just kind of went along with it, kind of just joked around about it, but obviously won't be getting number 10. So TT. Not right away. Not right away. Yeah, not, <laughs> yeah, not right away. So. If you could choose one song to play every time you walked into a room for the rest of your life, what song would you choose and why? Um, that's tough. I'd have to go with The Show Goes On by Lou Fiasco, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it's, there's kind of some history to it. So shout out to Aaron Uribe. He was one of my former teammates um, at Air Force. And there's kind of like a tradition that whenever we won a game at home, we had this big speaker set in our locker room. And that would be like the first song we'd blast and then get crazy in the showers. So uh, that just kind of brings good memories. And just whenever I turn it on, I kind of just remember those good times in the locker room after a nice win. Yeah. That's off of lasers. I believe from Lupe Fiasco dropped my senior year of high school and lasers is one of my favorite albums ever. And that one's iconic. Yeah. That song. It's an old, kind of an old one, but still goes hard. Who was your biggest inspiration growing up? <laughs> um, I would have to say, honestly, my parents, just kind of uh, seeing how invested my parents were into like letting me kind of chase my dreams. Um, I know we'll go, get into it later, uh, talking about kind of just how my whole uh, soccer career ended up going, but um, just seeing how invested they were. I have three younger brothers and, you know, it could be really stressful at times and just seeing my parents, you know, just balancing kind of their work life and just kind of me and all my brothers playing soccer and honestly, multiple sports as a kid, um, was just kind of inspiring and kind of something I want to do as a parent someday. And also just like all the things they've done for me, uh, leading up to this point is just kind of like, made motivated me more to like even work harder and kind of just like repay that all that time and energy that they put into me as a kid. So I definitely saw my parents. Um, yeah, just the amount of work and effort they put into all, like all three of my brothers and myself included. Lots of sacrifice, time, money, love, all that. Definitely. I feel that. And I feel that. you don't really, you don't really realize it until you get like kind of to an older age and you look back and you're like, wow, so I know my two younger brothers, youngest brothers, they probably don't realize it now, but me and my other brother, who he goes to the Coast Guard Academy, probably um, just kind of like feel more empathy, I guess, for our parents. That's really cool. I think any soccer player, regardless if they've made it all the way to being drafted or if they played collegiately, they have understood, have been a part of it, yeah. have seen that sacrifice that goes into making you, their child, as successful as possible. So that's that's really cool. Good shout out to your parents there. I'm sure your dad will be happy <laughs> to hear that one. Yeah, definitely. 
All right, so you gave a really good shout for the song you would play every time you went into a room, the show goes on. What would you title your autobiography if you had to write your own? Um, I would probably go with Underdog. Um, just like growing up as a kid, that's kind of been the story of my life. Um, I was a late bloomer. I didn't hit puberty until junior year in high school. And uh, just, you know, that age when everyone hits puberty and gets bigger and stronger and I was just kind of uh you know I was always still smaller and uh skinny and that was kind of just like the the story of my life was you know getting overlooked and I just had to work two times harder and you know my parents would talk to me and say hey it's all gonna work out someday and it's hard to internalize that when you're when you're that young and kind of just trusting in your parents and what other people are telling you but you know I just kind of kept with it and um you know, I just put my head in the ground and that's kind of giving me that mentality. I still have the day that like, I'm going to have a chip on my shoulder. Um, you know, no matter what environment I'm in. Um, and that kind of, I, I would say underdog for sure. But uh, just no matter where I was growing up, I was kind of just overlooked. And uh, even getting into Air Force, I can talk a little about that later, but um, I kind of had to really work my way to you know get some recognition you talk about being a late bloomer let's take it back to where it all started for you why soccer where did you develop your love for the beautiful game yeah so I started playing when I was five um and I think the only other sport I kind of got into was baseball um but that only lasted like a, a few years um but soccer so I had a there was a family that moved down down the street from us um or was on the same street as us, but moved down there down the street. And uh, they were a soccer family that had kids kind of uh, older than us. So they had Justice, who was, who was a few years older than me. And then they had Lake, who was around the same grade as me. And then they had Liam, who's a, um, a couple years younger than me. And uh, they moved down the street, and I'd always see them playing soccer outside. They had, like, a little rebounder. And then me and my brothers would be outside – Dude, who, who knows what but um that's kind of how I got into soccer because their mother Betsy Dirksen she uh she coached at Seattle U and you know played on the women's national team back in the day um she kind of told my parents like hey he should get into soccer and then I started playing at five um just recreationally and then I started playing club for United FC that was the local club uh, when I was seven so I think um yeah, it was that in baseball, and I think I just fell in love with the game, um, just everything about it, you know, getting those new pairs of cleats and just winning tournaments as a kid. Like, that's, like, the best feeling and playing, like, six games a weekend, um, getting away from school. So I think that's – I just kept with it. Um, I was playing up in age from, like, seven all the way to 11. Um, and then I guess, yeah, I just kept with it and – got into it um but end up me and my neighbors we'd always be playing out in the street and that's kind of how I fell in love with it spend my afternoons on the street for hours <laughs> street ball that might be where some of that creativity that I've seen comes from yeah definitely using the curb and all sorts of stuff trying to be creative the tire of the car in the driveway as a one-two goes all the way back you mentioned cleats 
you know, that's something every kid loves. You know, I used to love getting the soccer.com Eurosport magazine in the mail and just flipping through all the Nikes because I was a Nike guy. Yeah. I love total 90 boots. What was your favorite yeah. growing up? Um, that's tough. I mean, I had a range, a whole range of boots. I used to wear F50s, um, T90s. So you, were, you were a flashy guy. Yeah, I, I love wearing the flashy cleats. I'd wear bright yellow, bright orange. Um, but I think my favorite cleat was the first gen Hyper Venoms, um, the snakeskin. I had a gold pair of those. Those were probably by far my favorite cleats. And then obviously Nike stopped, stopped selling Hyper Venoms. So I moved over to the Vapor. And then, you know, Vapors I wear them, but Hyper Venoms will still be my favorite for sure. That's really cool. So you mentioned soccer, obviously. That's why you're on the show. You talk about baseball. But before we get into your career that led up to Air Force, you're also pretty good at football from what I've seen as a place kicker, yeah? Yeah. Uh, funny story. I, it was a funny story how I started playing football. But um, so obviously I played academy in high school and kind of USSDA um, didn't let you play high school soccer. That was kind of a rule. So I knew I couldn't play high school soccer, but there was no rule or anything that said I couldn't play high school football. So funny story is freshman year, my, my parents were like, oh, you should, you know, play high school football, keep your options open, um, play soccer and then kick as well. And, you know, you never know which way you could go going into college. Um, and so I, I like emailed the freshman football coach and uh, was like, hey, I want to, I want to kick football um and I was five foot two and probably like 100 pounds at the time freshman year so skinny scrawny and then, and then all these football kids that grew up like playing Pop Warner together were all friends and then I ended up making the team or whatever and I was like second string or whatever and then I just hated it everything about it um you know wearing the heavy helmet and pads and so I ended up quitting like and threw a fit with my mom um and then like a week later the JV football coach is like hey our kicker just broke his foot we need a kicker um so I ended up going to the high school field and they're like you gotta kick a few times before we can like you can join the team so I had like a pair of khaki shorts on and you know just put on whatever cleats I was wearing um and then went out there and was just hitting field goals obviously my technique because kicking footballs is different it's kind of a different technique than, you know, kicking a soccer ball or striking a soccer ball. So it took me, you know, I kind of just, so I ended up making the team and then I started going on YouTube and like kind of watching videos of like the best kickers and like Justin Tucker and stuff and kind of perfecting that technique. So I ended up being on the JV my freshman year. And then uh, I was also JV sophomore year. And uh, kind of started liking it. And uh, I also thought it was a good way to start gaining weight and like lifting weights because, you know, soccer and high school, I don't know how much they lift weights, but the football team would lift weights every each and every week. So I was kind of a way to get bigger and stronger on the side. Um, and so sophomore year, I played JV and um, was had the opportunity to uh, dress out for varsity. So I got a jersey or what, whatnot, but I was still like probably third string or whatever. Um, and then sophomore year, there was a, the starting kicker started missing some extra points. Um, and then it was like mid season and they're like, I heard my name get called. They're like Traeger. So I ran out there 
hit like a 25 yard field goal. And then from that point, uh, sophomore year, all the way until I graduated, um, I played varsity and uh, broke three kicking records, I think, um, and got to win a state championship my junior year. So uh, even though my parents kind of forced me to do it and I ended up quitting, um, I think it was kind of just like God's plan to let me go out there and have a kind of a new experience um, that I still think about every day and kind of just those Friday night lights. It's, it's just something that like brings back great memories. And um, I'm very thankful that I had the opportunity to do that. What were the three records that you broke? Um, I think it was PAT is in a game. So I hit 10. So we won 70 to something. Um, and then I think career points, I had like, I don't know the exact number. It might've been two, two low two hundreds, I think. Um, and then it might've been points in a season. So it might've been career points, points in a season. And then that those 10 PATs in a game. And I was fortunate to be able to make, yeah, I was fortunate to break those records because I was on really good teams at the, during that um, time. Cause that was that junior year. My junior year was the only state championship in school history, like in the last 60 years or whatever. That's so, impressive going from not even wanting to do that, not wanting to kick field goals to quitting to then yeah. breaking three records as a place kicker and then winning a state championship. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of came easy just having that soccer background, but there was some technique issues that I had to address and kind of learn from the, our kicking coach there as well. So early on in this podcast, you've kind of hinted at your youth soccer career. Walk us through your career <clears throat> leading up to your commitment to Air Force. Definitely. Um, so I started, obviously, when I was five, played recreationally. And then at seven years old, I went to United FC. Um, shout out Coach Josh Stringer. He was kind of my first coach I had. Um, and I did private lessons with him. And just he was a great coach that um, was great at teaching technique. And that's kind of how I developed just hitting balls different ways, different techniques, striking balls different ways. Um, and he was really good about um, teaching me how to make runs properly. So he would have these week, week-long um, camps that I would go to over the summer or whatnot. And um, he was kind of just like that coach I had as a, as a kid that um, taught me how to take players on and, you know, kind of gave me that foundation until I can move on to my next step. So from seven to um, 11 years old, I played at United FC. Um, with some other other people that are playing pro right now, actually Charlie Weehan, um, he's on the Real Monarchs on Real Salt Lake second team, and uh, Tyler Bagley as well. He just got drafted by Inter Miami, um, so we all played like at that club together and lived locally next to each other, so which is kind of cool. Um, and then at 11 years old, um, I don't know how we found out, but LA Galaxy Academy was. Their academy started, I think, at 16s, and it was only 16s and 18s. And then they had, like, an open tryout for the first um, U12 academy team, like, in the history of the club. And so they had open tryouts, and I was like – my parents were like, hey, you want to go try out? It would be a cool experience. And then I ended up going, and um, up until that point, I was playing up a year. So I kind of had, like, that advantage, I guess, of 
playing with older guys, even though I was on the smaller end. And then when I went to those tryouts, I was playing my own age. So like, it was a lot easier. It felt a lot easier. Um, and so I made the galaxy and then I was there from 12 years old all the way up until 15. So, you know, those were great four years. I've, I was with numerous coaches, Greg Banny, he's the galaxy coach right now. He was one of my coaches. Um, Mauricio Santuegos, galaxy legend, um, the list goes on, but so I was there for four years. Um, and then I think freshman year of high school is when it was that jump to U16s. Um, and I kind of had to make a decision um, just with the sacrifice that my parents had to go, were going through. Um, just driving there four days a week it was 55 miles away. And so my parents even decided to buy an electric car because it was just the amount of gas we were going through um, was outrageous. So, and then also all the Chivas USA players, because Chivas, um, the club shut down, were all coming over to Galaxy. And it was just going to be a really difficult time of just the sacrifice and then being in high school too and playing football and going to the Galaxy. It was kind of just going to be a difficult transition. So I decided to leave um, and go try out for Strikers, which was the local academy team, the closest local academy team to us, um, along with the Patio Doors. So I ended up going to Strikers and um, they honestly didn't really like me at first. And that's kind of what I was talking about, you know, just kind of getting overlooked being on the smaller side. Um, and that was like at 15. So I was still small and at Strikers, um, you know, I kind of really had to work into the team and all those guys had been playing for a few years together too. So it was kind of a new environment. And they're like, who's this galaxy kid coming over here thinking like he can come and, come join the team um so it took a little while to kind of get cool with all the guys but um after that I ended up playing at strikers 16s and then 18s twice so three total years um and you know made a lot of friendships and over the years and um shout out to coach Don Ebert and he was kind of just one of those coaches who was always tough on me. And he was honestly the first coach that I tried, like tried out for under. And he was in, um, he wasn't impressed with my game. Uh, being on the smaller side, you kind of have to play smarter and quicker. So I was kind of like a one and two touch player at that time, um, waiting still to grow and get stronger before I could start like beating guys with pace and attacking guys with speed. But he was one of the coaches that told me that and critiqued me because um, I came into that tryout, you know, playing my game and he was kind of um, unimpressed with it. So shout out to him. He was a big part of my development and, you know, just beating guys with speed. And um, I'll never forget that that one day um, where he told me he wasn't impressed with my play. So I'll look, look back on it now and thank him for that for sure. But and then leading up until that point, I had Sean Ganey. He was my head coach, my uh, senior year of high school. He was um, a big part in my development as well and helped me get into Air Force and reaching out to the coaches as well and putting good words in for me. Um, and then getting into Air Force, um, them and, you know, Indiana was kind of always my dream school along with Notre Dame. Um, Notre Dame, I probably didn't have the, the test scores to get in. Um, and then Indiana, obviously, prestigious program. It was definitely really hard to get in. Um, and so 
Air Force was kind of one of those schools that emailed me and I was, I was kind of interested, but I was like, I don't know if I want to join the military. Um, and my parents were like, it could be a really cool opportunity. Um, you know, you have a guaranteed job after you graduate, um, great education. It's also free tuition. You get paid when you're here. Um, and so I always kept that in the back of my mind as like a school that I would want to go to. Um, so I was just persistent with the coaches, had them come out to the showcases I was playing in. Um, and then coach Hill and coach Foster were, um, both got to see me one or one or two times. Um, but they're still on the fence. They were still on the fence about me. Um, and it was like in late, uh, it was like in early April, late March. Um, they still had not make, they still didn't make a decision on me. And so I had to send film. Um, I was actually on spring break over in Spain and I was like editing a video to send to them. And so I think that that video might've been, uh, what got me into air force. And so, um, you know, it kind of just goes back to that underdog, uh, kind of getting overlooked and, um, it paid, it paid off, but, um, I think I was the last recruit to get in for my recruiting class. So, um, God bless. And I was fortunate to get in, but, um, you know, it's been the best decision I ever made for sure. All right. So that answer is why the air force Academy, but 10 Falcons before you have gone through the Academy and have went on to be drafted into MLS. You talked about that guaranteed job. Well, here's yours. It wasn't guaranteed. You had to work your ass off for it, but did you choose the Academy with thoughts of possibly going pro? And if not, at what point did you realize that you could turn that dream into a reality? Yeah, I think um, going to Air Force, I knew, you know, it was a good collegiate team. Um, but I don't think going pro was ever in the back of my head. Um, just kind of the way things were going my senior year, like I, I had a decent senior year. Um, and so like pro really, really wasn't on my mind until I think after sophomore year. Um just having a good year and just building confidence. Um, and I was like, Hey, like if I'm doing this at the collegiate level and I keep it up, I might have a chance someday to pursue that dream. So yeah, definitely coming into the Academy, it was more just focused on, um, just getting a good education and coming out and being an officer in the air force, um, was my number one priority. And that still is my number one priority. You know, I came to the air force with the commitment to serve in the military. So I'm thankful to the athletic department and the academy as a whole for, you know, hopefully allowing me to uh, pursue this opportunity to play in, um, in the pros and see how far I can make it. But, um, yeah, I don't think it hit me till my sophomore year. And then obviously junior year, it was kind of a weird year with COVID and I ended up spraining my ankle pretty badly, um, right at the beginning of the season. So I ended up missing five games. Um, and on an individual level, it wasn't my greatest season, but I think on a team level, that was like the season, um, you know, winning the WAC tournament, going to NCAAs was uh, an awesome accomplishment from us. And, and then senior year, I knew if I wanted, sophomore year was kind of irrelevant because, you know, you can't get drafted out of the academy right, out, right after sophomore year um, with that commitment. So I knew if I wanted an opportunity, I had to really work hard and kind of grind it out this summer and, um, you know, work with my teammates, get fit and uh, come into my senior year with just the right mentality to 
you know, kind of just get after it. Um, and so I was fortunate to have a great season. Um, so I want to take it back to that south- sophomore season. Looking at your freshman year, zero starts. You had zero goals, two assists. Okay. Fast forward sophomore year, 2019, 16 games played, 16 starts, 12 goals, which was WAC Conference League leader, and four assists. What changed going into sophomore year? I think it was, I think it was those seniors, um, my freshman year. So Tucker Bone and Austin Doing and, you know, Danny Hahn and Clint Parker, that was a great senior class they had. And uh, my freshman year, I was fortunate to be able to, you know, kind of travel um, and get minutes with the, with the varsity team um, and just kind of looking up to those guys. And those guys had a great class and a great career at the Air Force Academy on the team. And, I knew that our class coming in as sophomores kind of had to fill that role and kind of be like that new 2019 class and kind of make our own mark on the team. So I know personally, right as soon as that freshman year was over, when we went home, you know, I knew I needed to gain some weight and get a little bigger and stronger. And those three weeks I was home, I gained like 10 pounds and was putting on the weight, um, you know, just getting really big and strong. And our coach, when I came back, the coaches were like shocked and like didn't even recognize me. And so I just worked hard all throughout that spring. You know, that was a good opportunity for me and the other guys in my uh, grade to be able to show the coaches what we were made of. And they kind of put their trust in us to kind of take over the team. And going into that sophomore year, we were we were a young team, um, but we kind of just had that chip on our shoulder to go out there and, um, you know, win games. Yeah, so you accomplished so much in your four seasons at Air Force. Like I said, individually, you led the team in scoring during your time with the program, uh, recording 28 goals and 13 assists. You won the WAC Golden Boot Race two times in 2019 and then this past season, 2021. You were named first team All-WAC twice, 2021 WAC Offensive Player of the Year, you name it. As a leader within the program, you helped win the school's first WAC tournament title in the 2020-2021 season. And then you also broke the school's season win record in 2018, recording 17 wins. So looking back on your four years with the program, what was your favorite goal specifically? And what memory will you look back and just cherish forever? Yeah. So I think favorite goal um, was definitely my sophomore year. It was actually my first Air Force goal ever. Um, We went over to Army, first game of the season. You know, we're a young team. They're an old team, hostile environment. You know, they had like, I think close to like a thousand cadets maybe. Um, And so going into that environment was crazy. I don't know if most of us were ready for that moment, Um, especially playing against an older, older unit um, that had names like Zach McGraw. He's on the Portland Timbers first team from West Point. Um, So we went in there and, you know, had a really battle. Um, and we ended up going one, one, zero into the first half, um, JT Dominio scored that goal. And then they ended up tying it. Um, I don't know how much time was left. So it was one, one. And then in the second half, I think there was about 15 or 20 minutes left. And, um, I was at the top of the box making a run over and, uh, the entire game was crazy. We were getting screamed at, um, like just made fun of from all the army cadets. So I knew that it was a very hostile environment and it would have been like the best feeling winning that game. So 
second half, there's probably 20 minutes left. And Alec Young, who was, um, he graduated last year. He ended up kind of dishing a ball over to the right side of the top of the 18. And I kind of just didn't even hesitate, just kind of turned and swung my foot. And uh, it ended up going far post, hitting the post and going in. And then I ended up running over the army crowd and shushing them because they were yelling at me because my hair was too long. Uh, Cause you know, air force, we can maybe get away with a little more uh, <laughs> length on top compared to the army kids. But uh, I just went over, shushed the crowd and coach Doyle, our assistant coach was kind of pissed off at me for that, but um, I just had to do it. It was just part of the moment. That was my first air force goal. So yeah, that's definitely my favorite goal. And then I think favorite moment, um, it had to be just winning the WAC tournament junior year, um, going to Vegas and we were the sixth seed. So last seeded going into the tournament, um, we had to win the last three games of the regular season to even make the sixth seed, uh, which was work itself. And, you know, we kind of had a talk with the coaching staff and, uh, all the players and we kind of had to turn the season around. We started awful. Like we lost, like the, we were like one and four going into the junior year. Um, and so going into that WAC tournament uh, over in Las Vegas, um, we were just we, we were just underdogs. We had that chip on our shoulder. Uh, we had to play the number three seed, so San Jose State, um, who was a really good team that year. They had all seniors, um, a bunch of conference selections, and uh, we were down 2-0 in the first half. And so we're like, wow, okay, maybe we, are, we do deserve the sixth seed, um, and we aren't ready for the tournament. And then – um, still like 20 minutes left, I think in the first half, I ended up getting a goal. Um, so we're two, one, and then Lathan Spadafora, who, who was our starting striker, who's also, in our, uh, graduating with me later this year, he scored the second goal. Um, so we were tied two, two at half and, uh, the kind of the momentum was in our favor because I think San Jose thought they had it in the bag. And so that game ended up going into PKs, um, and we ended up winning in PKs. And uh, we were just happy about winning that game. And we knew we had a tough test the next game. It was UTRGB. They were the second seed. So that game was just an absolute back and forth, um, just hard on the line kind of game. And we ended up squeaking out a 1-0 win um, against them. And then after that game, I, like the team and the team environment was just all positive. We our confidence was on top. We we're like, we just took down the number three seed, number two seed. And we're about to play GCU in the final, who was the number one seed. Um, and GCU has had a great um, success in the last few years being ranked, you know, nationally. And so, but I think, I think Air Force is their kryptonite. They hate playing us. Um, I've talked to some of their players. They just hate playing us and they hate losing to us, but we were actually staying in the same hotel as them. So it was pretty funny. Like the night before, just talk like I think I ran into the GCU coach in the in the hotel room um, in the elevator, and we were just like, "Hey, good luck tomorrow." Um, it was kind of funny. We all we like left for the game at the same time too, so, which was pretty funny. But we were just we just had high confidence. Um, we were we were excited. Um, this was the first time I think Air Force was in a. I don't know if it was the first time we were in a final, but um, I think for the WAC specifically because we used to be in a different conference. Um, and so our coaches, you know, they gave us a pep talk the night before, and like, they're like, this is a really special opportunity um, that you guys have tomorrow. And I think we were all just ready to go out there and 
we were still the underdog, one seed against the six seed. And I think maybe GCU might have overlooked us a little, and we ended up smacking them 3-0. So um, just a lot of raw emotion after that one, um, just pure happiness. Um, just being, you know, there with the seniors as well, who shout out Max Soul, Garrett Mayoka, um, Ryan Clary and Reese Cook, who were all we were all seniors that year, and we kind of did it for them. Uh, they gave some like speeches to us before going into the tournament. That you know, when you're senior, it could be your last game. You never know. And I think as us as a team, we just worked really hard together and wanted to give our, our seniors that that moment. So that was definitely greatest air force moment for sure <laughs> what a cinderella story from having to yeah. win the final three games in the regular yeah. season to even get in the WAC conference tournament yep. to then beating the three seed the two seed and the one seed that's that's a great story i want to go back to the goal you scored against army though you know yeah. how it's such a big moment for you scoring your first collegiate goal against army and then yep. you go over there and shush them did you know you were going to, if yeah. you scored a goal, did you think about this before the game? Like if I score a goal, I'm going over there and I'm shushing those guys. Yeah. What's really funny is, so in the morning before a game, normally we normally go over to the field um, that we're going to be playing on. And the uh, coach Hill has this kind of envision things, kind of walk the field, envision how we're going to be playing tonight. And I swear to you, I, <laughs> I went to the, the goal I scored on. So I went to that box and I was like, I'm going to score the game winner tonight right here it was probably not the exact location that I scored but it was pretty pretty damn close and then I'm gonna go over and shush the crowd and hey <laughs> I was telling my buddies and they're like they, they couldn't believe it because they were there like that morning when I was envisioning it and they're just like that'd be sick imagine scoring the game winner against army in front like in a hostile environment and uh and it ended up happening that way but um shushing the crowd might have not been appropriate uh considering there was still like 15 minutes left. So, you know, game was still, you know, not far. I mean, it was still far from over. So, um, but, you know, I was still young and just excited about that moment, getting my first goal. Um, just the adrenaline I was feeling during that moment was definitely, <laughs> definitely up there. Oh yeah. It's raw emotion. You probably blacked out. And it was just the first thing that came to your mind. It's instinctual yeah. at that point. Yeah. Uh, but what values has the Academy instilled in you? that have mentally and physically prepared you for this next step in your soccer career? Yeah. I mean, the Academy, there's, I didn't know what I was signing up for, honestly. And when you get here um, straight out of high school, you get put into basic training for six weeks um, with a bunch of other high schoolers and a bunch of other kids from around the country and, you know, international kids from around the world. And you get put into, into this hostile environment that a lot of kids aren't used to because, you know, it's the military and excuse me, um, get put into this hostile environment. And um, I think a value that I earned from that was that's carried on these four years has been like, you know, that just team first mentality. You, if you try to be an individual going through basic training, you're going to get eaten out alive. So, you know, when you're down in the dumps and, you're doing push-ups and you're waking up at 4 a.m. and you're feeling down, you got to look to your left and right and be like, these are my brothers and sisters going through the same thing. And you kind of just pick each other all up at once. And I think, you know, that team first mentality carried over to like playing soccer here at Air Force. You know, we might not be an ACC team or 
um, top ranked team in the country. But, you know, when we go into, when we play a game, we're going to go into battle for each other. Um, and I think that's kind of um, that mentality that helped us win games and that um, kind of helped us beat teams like GCU that were nationally ranked and might have had better players on paper and individually, but playing as a team together and going through these hardships together. Um, Cause I don't think most college college soccer players can say they've gone through basic training and, you know, survival training over the summer, living out in the woods for 10 days and stuff like that, that you go through with like your teammates and uh, you know, your brothers. So I think that was one thing. And then I think another value um, that helped me here at Air Force was um, just kind of building mental strength. Um, you know, it's not like normal college. Um, I'm not saying normal college is bad or anything, but, you know, waking up early, going to school, you know, going, going to lunch, going to practice, going to film, like going to lift you don't get back to your room till like eight, eight o'clock and then you got like hours of homework and then you got to do it all over again. Um, that's just kind of something you got to deal with. Um, and I think after going through those hardships, you kind of just build, build that mental capacity and that mental strength um, to push through. And I think that helped us in a lot of games throughout our, throughout um, our seasons here. And I think having that mental strength, um, will definitely help me at the next level to be able to cope with like the difficult times. Really cool. Yeah. I was going to ask about some of the demands placed on you guys as student athletes at the Academy. I think you did a really good job at, at highlighting all of that. Definitely. All right. So listeners, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors added time outfitters stick around because after the break, we will be discussing Tristan's draft day emotions, what Atlanta fans should expect from him on and off the pitch and so much more. We'll be back in 60 seconds. We all love the beautiful game. We spend countless hours watching, tweeting, discussing, playing, and talking about the sport. And we all have our favorite memories when our teams made history. Moments like Liverpool's miracle in Istanbul or Celtics 2-1 triumph over arguably the best Barca side ever. Those moments that keep us coming back for more. But what if you could carry those moments with you all the time? At a Time Outfitters creates soccer-inspired wristbands to let you wear those memories on your wrist. Each reversible elastic design gives supporters of the beautiful game a unique way to rep their favorite team in any setting. With wristbands for your favorite teams from across Europe, the USA, and beyond, each added time design incorporates a 90-minute story from that famous match. Check out all 24 of Added Time Outfitters' current designs on the web at www.addedtime.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Added Time Outfitters. Welcome back to MLS Gone Wild, Season 4, Episode 2, featuring Atlanta United's second-round pick and this year's MLS Super Draft, Tristan Traeger. Head over to AddedTimeOutfitters.com for all your soccer-inspired wristbands and apparel. Use code GONEWILD at checkout for 10% off your entire order. Tristan, it's been exactly one week since you were drafted, 47th overall by Atlanta United. Walk me through draft day. Where were you? Who were you with? And describe your emotions when you found out that you were drafted to Atlanta? Yeah, definitely. So draft day, um, you know, it was definitely tough to sleep that night because it was on my mind. Um, but then, yeah, I went to school all morning and then uh, went to lunch. And then the draft was at, I think, one o'clock my time. Yeah, one o'clock 
my time. So I went to lunch, came back to my room, changed, um, and then went down to the locker room. Uh, we have a little team room with a TV. So we threw it on there. And then I had all my teammates um, and some of my best friends here that uh, we were all watching together. Um, and I didn't know when I was going to get picked. So we just threw it on. And then first, obviously, they only broadcast the first round. So we went, we watched all throughout the first round. Um, and I still had him in picks. So we ended up throwing up the draft tracker on there. And uh, we were just anticipating um, for pretty much every pick, all the boys had their phones out and stuff because I didn't know when I was going to get picked. But um, it was funny, like when a team wouldn't pick me, this, all the boys would be like pissed off and stuff. And uh, I was just like, you guys don't have to get mad. Um, but it was funny. And then um, my agent actually called me up and was like, hey, I think you got picked up by someone, but I don't know who. So I was like, OK, because um, the website, I think, crashed in the second round. Like, I think the Rapids had a pick. Um yeah, and we kept I remember refreshing. staring at it. <laughs> yeah, we're like, they're taking forever. But um, yeah, and so my agent was like, they're already like a few picks past that. Um, but I'm pretty sure you got picked. And then um, we were just in, we were just watching the draft tracker and it still wasn't updating. And then I ended up look, I was looking down on my phone and then it was like Atlanta United tagging on Twitter. So I opened it up and then all the boys went crazy um you know I got ice water dumped on me so it was it was definitely a surreal feeling um just seeing that obviously it wasn't like the normal way you find out but um <laughs> just seeing Atlanta United tag me on Twitter was just like wow it's crazy um so I was really excited and I'm very blessed that Atlanta has um put their trust in me and my abilities um and given me this opportunity to you know perform for them so a few minutes ago, you talked about graduation later this year. So what's next? Have you been given the green light from the Academy to pursue your career in MLS while maintaining active duty after you graduate? No, I have not. So um, I have two options um, that the athletic department has given me. And I'm very fortunate to um, the athletic department here at Air Force that's allowing me to have this opportunity. So I still have to um, submit two packages. One is a, a package that I would be delaying my commission, so I wouldn't be commissioning. Um, and I would still be playing, pursuing soccer, but I wouldn't be active duty in the Air Force. Um, and then the other option is I will be active duty in the Air Force, and I would be joining um, World Class Athlete Program, which is a program that the Air Force gives you that it's basically to try to make the Olympic team. Um, and it gives, it's a two-year deal that you're serving active duty that still goes towards your commitment. So both opportunities are very, I'm very grateful for, but I still do have to submit those packages um, and get approved um, by the air force um, to allow me to have that opportunity. Um, but honestly, I'm just thankful because, you know, I came here to air force to become an officer. Um, so given give, getting the opportunity to be able to play pro um, is something I'm very grateful for while still maintaining um, my commitment to service. That's awesome. So after you got drafted, have you had a chance to speak to Carlos Bocanegra, Gonzalo Pineda, or anyone from the club? And if so, how have those conversations gone? Yeah, so I've spoken to uh, Will Clayton and um, another person that works up 
uh, up at Atlanta United, um, Manny. Um, and they wanted me to come out to preseason. Um, and my agent kind of let them know that it would be really difficult just with my academic commitments and military commitments that I'm still dealing with here um, to be able to go to preseason. So they were cool um, with me coming in June. And um, they also want me to come over spring break if possible. So I'm gonna have to talk to the Air Force and see if I'd be allowed to do that. Um, but yeah, those are the only conversations I've had so far. Um, but obviously, if I'm approved, uh, I'll definitely be ready right after graduation in early June. Speaking of being ready, how do you plan to remain fit and sharp on the ball in the months leading up to traveling to Atlanta? Yeah, so I'm fortunate enough that uh, Coach Hill has given me the opportunity to um, still train with the team. So I'm still training here at Air Force, um, you know, intensely three to four times a week and then um, working out as well, getting lifts in each and every week and making sure I'm staying fit. Um, you know, the, the altitude helps as well. So I'll be staying fit uh, this spring with the team. And I'm just grateful to Coach Hill for giving me that opportunity to stay on the team, even though I'm not on the team anymore. <laughs> so because you aren't reporting to preseason camp with Atlanta United, do you feel as if maybe you're at a disadvantage? Yeah, I think so. Um, and that's kind of just one of the hurdles uh, that I'm going to have to go Underdog, baby. Through. You're the underdog. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the hurdles I'm going to have to go uh, go through. Obviously, joining the team, like, midseason. Um, yeah, it's definitely something I wish I didn't have to deal with, but um, that's just part of, you know, the commitment I have to graduating um, here at the academy and fulfilling that that service commitment as well first before I even – go over there so um yeah it's definitely a disadvantage I feel like but um I'll be ready when I'm ready to report to Atlanta um and ready to prove myself tactically you are a versatile Swiss Army knife for the Falcons playing a number of different positions throughout your four years uh, for five stripes fans wondering what kind of player they are getting describe your style of play your strengths and which position you think best suits you at the next level yeah definitely so um, yeah, I've played winger. I came into Air Force as a winger and then I moved into the 10 role, um, my sophomore through senior year. And I also played some nine here and there. Um, and then also jumped in at the eight a few times, but, um, yeah, I think, uh, my strengths as a player, um, I love making runs and kind of just making it difficult for defenders, um, to know where I'm at. So I watch a lot of Holland, you know, ultimate goal scorer and, I love watching him make runs. Um, I think he's really good at it. And I love watching Mbappe as well um, for just his pace and the way he attacks players. Um, so I try to just, you know, implement my game in that kind of way and be able to attack players with speed, um, get crosses off if I'm playing winger. Um, and I, th I would say I'm a very savvy player. I like finding kind of just the creative passes that like defenders would never expect. Um, I love being on the half turn being able to get the ball and, you know, attack defenders with speed and creating disadvantages for the other team, like three V twos and two V ones. Um, and then I, I, I just love scoring goals, um, being around the box and, you know, finding difficult, different angles and just ways to score um, is just kind of things that I, I add to the, um, add to the game. So that's something that Atlanta fans could look forward to. 
So you go to school in Colorado, the Colorado, Colorado Rapids are there and they just had a guy get sold over to Europe. That's been on this podcast before Cole Bassett, Cole Bassett. And I, you, I believe have some similarities, really good runs into the box, really good progressive dribbler. Um, do you see similarity similarities in your game with Cole Bassett or is there anybody else in the league that you see similarities with? Yeah. Um, so I, ended up, I was watching the Rapids um, during their playoff run last season and I remember watching Cole. So I would say, yeah, we're very similar players, um, just kind of smart tactical players um, that like to make good runs and, you know, are good on the ball. Um, so yeah, Cole's definitely one. And um, in the MLS, I'm not, I'm not too sure if I could put a name to who's similar to me, but yeah, Cole Bassett was someone I was watching because I would watch the Rapids during their playoff run. And um, yeah, he was definitely, you know, congrats to him for going to Europe. But um, I was watching him uh, during his time here for sure through the academy as well. So we've talked a lot about your offensive skill set. What about your defensive skill set? Yeah, defensively. So, um, you know, here at Air Force, we played man-to-man defense. So a lot of times I would even be, you know, pulled all the way back into the sixth position, uh, depending on who I was guarding. So definitely um, a hard worker um, getting back on defense, even if I'm playing the 10, um, which would, you know, that kind of worked with our midfield, you know, playing with two other guys that could were able to attack as well. So sometimes I'd be pulled in the six or the eight position, just, depending on where I was defensively. Um, but yeah, defensively, I love I love pressing um, and I love winning ball in the attacking third. So that's definitely one of my strengths, I think, um, just anticipating passes from center backs. And um, even if they're like trying to dribbling out of the back, just kind of like sneaking up on them and, you know, creating that advantage for us. Yeah, that's really cool. A lot of the highlights that I saw you uh, on your on your most recent highlight tape are a lot of transition moments and that makes a lot of sense with your you're a high pressing player and honestly I didn't think you were going to go to Atlanta I was somebody that was like keen on you going to the New York Red Bulls a very high pressing system because your highlights scream that that's the kind of player you are but I think that you will fit in well with the Atlanta system they're one of the most well they should be one of the best attacking teams on paper, Marcelino Moreno, Ezekiel Barco, Joseph Martinez, uh, Luis Araujo. Have you watched any of those guys play? And like when you report in June, who are you most excited to see play against all those things? Yeah. Um, I definitely, you know, growing up, growing up on the West coast, I was galaxy based. So, you know, growing up, I was watching them, but I know Atlanta had a great, you know, winning the MLS cup their 2018 year. Um, and I know they're a great attacking team um, with just those the number of names you mentioned. So uh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm not really excited um, to meet any particular player. I'm just excited to learn from, you know, they're older guys and I could take a lot of um, information in from them and just learning from them is something I'm looking forward to. Really cool. Is there anything else that you would like to say to Atlanta United fans before I let you go? Um, yeah, I'm just excited to get out there as soon as possible. Um, I'm thankful to the fans and, um, you know, the front office and the coaching staff for believing in me. And I look forward. I've only ha- I've only heard great things about Atlanta. Um, I actually have three kids on Air Force right now played at their academy. 
and uh, they were really excited for me and told me all the great things about Atlanta, the city, the club, the fans. So I'm really excited excited to get out there um, whenever that happens, and I'm ready to put in work. I'm excited for you, Tristan. Tristan, thanks for coming on MLS Gone Wild, man. It's been a pleasure. You have a fan in me. I'll be watching you. Uh, I'm cheering on for you, man. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to this episode of MLS Gone Wild featuring Atlanta United's second-round pick, Tristan Traeger. Remember his name, folks. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review MLS Gone Wild wherever you enjoy podcasts. I'll be back next week with another MLS Super Draft interview. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. Peace.